Well, good morning, church family. Great to be with you, all of you online right now. So glad that you have invited us to be with you wherever you are at. I hope you enjoyed an extra hour of sleep last night. All right, right. And if you're here at 11, that means you really got a lot of extra time this morning. You should be fresh, rested. It's going to be awesome. Happy November 1st to you. All right. It's good to, good to, uh, kind of crazy we're turning the corner, right? But it's awesome at the same time. So if you're a guest, by the way, my name is Chad, one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful that we get to be together. So I want to start off with two questions for you. Uh, first question is this, who's been a Paul in your life and who's been a Timothy in your life? Now, some of you might not be familiar with those names. You're thinking like, I think I went to school with Paul and uh, there was a kid down the street, I think his name was Timothy. And so just for those of you who may not be familiar with what we mean in the Christian community when we say, who's your Paul, who's your Timothy, uh, a Paul is an older, wiser, or more spiritually mature uh, person in the faith who's investing in you, who's teaching you, who's discipling you. They're a discipler in your life. And a Timothy is a person who is uh, younger than you or younger in the faith than you that you are actively growing, mentoring, discipling, and sharing the ways of the Lord with. And we get this language, of course, from the Apostle Paul. And if you know the Apostle Paul, he was a devout Jewish man who uh, had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ after Jesus died on the cross, after he rose from the grave. A while later, uh, Paul encountered him, and his life was absolutely transformed. And he became a faithful follower of Jesus and actually one of the greatest missionaries and teachers the Christian community has ever seen. And he invested himself in others who were younger in the faith. And one of those guys was named, guess what? Timothy, right? And then there's another young man we'll be talking about today. His name is Titus. And, and these were people that he invested in in his faith. And so I look at my life, I'm grateful for my Pauls. Uh, men like Clark and Bill and Bob and Ken and Jim and Tim were, were Pauls in my life. Life. And, and I had some Barnabases too. Barnabas was another guy that was a, kind of in the mix with Paul. He was a, a peer who encouraged him and, and really uh, walked with him in life. And then I'm grateful for my Barnabases, my friends like Henry and Steve and Bruce. And then also uh, the Timothys in my life, young men like Bryce and Jeff and some others. And so when you think about uh, this whole Paul, Timothy, and even a little bit of the Barnabas, here's what it looks like if you were to visualize it. Uh, you've got the Pauls that are pouring into your life. They're, they're teaching you. They're investing in you. They're discipling you. And then you've got your Barnabases who are your friends. Or they're walking with you. They're, they're your comrades, if you will. They're, they're walking with you, linking arms with you through life. And then you've got your Timothys that you're pouring into. And so for the focus today, we want to focus on the Pauls that are pouring into people and the Timothys that are uh, being poured into. So again, who are the Pauls in your life and who are the Timothys in your life? And this is what we're going to be focusing on as we continue in this series called We the Church. And if you're new or newer, uh, we are looking at really what it means to be part of the Christian community. And there's this great little book called Titus. And he was another young man that the Apostle Paul mentored. And Titus, as he was being mentored by Paul, was left on an island to do a great work. And it was the island of Crete. They're off the coast of Greece. And there were a bunch of new young Christians, and young in the faith, there on Crete. And so Paul sent Titus there to uh, really organize those believers. They didn't really have leadership, so to organize them and to equip them and encourage them in the faith. 
And where we are going into Titus, as we go through the book over the next couple months, we get to learn a lot of lessons about the Christian community as we go through the book of Titus. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles and turn or tap to the uh, book of Titus, chapter 2. It's a book in the kind of near, near the end a little bit of your Bibles in a section called the New Testament. And as you're flipping to Titus chapter 2, just a reminder that when you go through the Bible, when it was originally written, it didn't have chapters and verses. That was brought on later to help us for study and reference. But really, the, the, the book of Titus is this letter that God had the Apostle Paul write to Titus as he was living out this mission to help the church there on Crete. And the verse before the verse we're going to start, because we're starting with chapter 2, verse 1, but last week we were talking about how the church needs to protect itself from false teachers, from false doctrine, and from false teaching. And the end of chapter 1 really sets up kind of a, a, a brief you know, description of the people that we talked about last week. It said that they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then we get to dive now into Titus chapter 2, where now there's this contrast made, right? So look at verse 1. So here's these other people that were detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But for you, this is Paul saying to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word. It's holy, it's perfect. God, you use it to instruct us, to train us, to guide us. And Lord, you use it to transform us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, we all come together right now with a mutual desire to learn, to grow, and to be changed according to your work in us. Lord, I thank you for the Pauls uh, in this room and online, people that have been or currently are investing, spiritually discipling other people in the faith. Thank you for the Timothys, people who are young in the faith that are hungry to learn and grow and be mentored and be discipled. And God, for anyone who doesn't have a Paul or a Timothy, may you use this time to help encourage us and remind us of the intergenerational nature of the body of Christ. So teach us today. We all want to learn and we all want to walk it out in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Let's look back again through Titus 2 and just a few observations. The first observation, again, is the value of sound doctrine. And the idea of sound doctrine really originates from being healthy. So if you go to the doctor and you get, you know, a workup and they look at your vitals and look at all your numbers and you're in good shape, you're sound. You're sound in health, right? And in the same way, we're to be sound in doctrine, healthy in our doctrine, no flaws, no errors. And so the way it looks, if you were to illustrate it, it would be like this. Uh, We've got sound doctrine that pours into our lives. And sound doctrine is biblical doctrine. Uh, We don't generate doctrine. We don't write it down ourselves. God's given it to us in his word. So this is the source of our sound doctrine. So sound doctrine in reality is biblical doctrine. And the biblical doctrine as we sit underneath it uh, gives us biblical thinking. So biblical doctrine leads to biblical thinking which will lead to biblical living. 
And once we start to live biblically, then we start to have this biblical influence on the lives of other people, both those within the community of faith and those outside of the community of faith, actually, as well. And so we have sound doctrine leads to biblical thinking, biblical thinking to biblical living, biblical living to biblical influence. That's what we see here. And by the way, the point of it isn't just to feel good about ourselves, like, oh, I've grown so much, I'm so awesome, you know? That's not the point. The the point is to say, praise God, because as we grow, as we learn, as we are transformed, it actually brings God glory. It makes God look awesome. It increases God's reputation and His glory and the reputation of His Word and those who say that they believe in and love His Word. And so sound doctrine. We first see the importance of sound doctrine, and then Paul gives Titus this you know, exhortation. You need to teach this sound doctrine. You teach what is sound in doctrine to... And first he goes after the older men. So men who either are older by age or even older in the faith, if you will. And, and, and we see him go after that. And so he says, this is what it's going to look like if men grab a hold of and live out sound doctrine. So look again at verse 2. And, and, and none of these are going to be a surprise. They're, they're pretty um, easy to understand at face value. First, uh, these, these older men, these Pauls, if you will, are going to be sober-minded. They're going to be dignified and self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in, ste- uh, sound in steadfastness. So sober-minded is really what you would think it means. It's really the opposite of intoxicated. It's the opposite of being drunk. Because when you're drunk, you, you lose your ability to reason, to think, and, and to uh, control. And so if you're, if you're sober-minded, you're temperate. You're not excessive. You, you have a soberness to your thinking and a clarity to your thinking. And so men of God who are rooted in sound doctrine are going to be sober-minded. They're not going to be given into drunkenness. They're not going to be given into that type of uh, way of life, way of thinking. Dignified. You're just, you're just going to be honorable. You're going to be one who invites respect. When people look at you, they see good character, good qualities, and you're dignified. Uh, You're going to be self-controlled, which really conveys the idea of being sensible, that you make good judgment, you have a good sense about things, as well as your ability to restrain impulses. And so uh, this is going to be an issue of self-control. Also, sound in the faith which means your faith has integrity. Your trust in God is secure. Your your followership of the Lord is secure. Your belief and your convictions are secure. You're sound in your faith in the Lord. You're sound in love, which uh, means that these men are going to be ones who are more loving rather than cruel or angry or abusive, that their love will will increase, and they'll be men of affection and goodwill to other people, especially uh, those they love. And they'll be sound in steadfastness, which means the ability to persevere, to endure. When um, our loyalty to God and our loyalty to family is tested by difficult situations, we're not going to tap out. We're not going to tap out and make dumb decisions because things are hard. And so it's the soundness and our steadfastness. And so Paul is saying that when men learn sound doctrine, this is what it's going to look like when they get it and when they live it out. And so men, you know, we're not Paul and we're not Titus and we weren't there, you know, on the island of Crete when this is written. But this is a description of what happens when we as men of God grab a hold of and are led by biblical doctrine, this biblical 
thinking is going to lead to biblical living, and this is a glimpse of what it looks like. It's not exhaustive. There's other places in Scripture that add on to this, but this is a little bit of a snapshot of what it looks like. So we too need to be men who are sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled, and we need to be sound in faith and sound in love and sound in steadfastness. And it's all rooted back to sound doctrine. So really, sound doctrine makes sound men. Men who are going to be rooted in the Lord and His Word and living for Him. And then that's the outcome. And so we see that through, through this example of what these Pauls, if you will, are going to look like as they grow in the ways of the Lord. And then he moves on and says, and this is what it's going to look like when women grab hold of sound doctrine and how it's going to be lived out in their lives as the Lord works in their life. And so we see in verses 3, 4, and 5, uh, the next section here. First, these women are going to be reverent in behavior, not slanders and not slaves to wine. The reverence of behavior is really a beautiful um, understanding when you look at the original language. That, that reverence is tied to being consecrated to God. It's a very spiritual word. There's a sacredness to it. That it's like one who presents themselves to the Lord. There's a reverence, right? And so there's a reverence and behavior. So there's a reverence to God first, and then there's this dignity and reverence that will spill over into all our human relationships as women who follow the Lord. So there's going to be this reverence and behavior that will also lead to really a dignified uh, reputation among those who observe their life. Not slanderers. Uh, This is where we really kind of start to see even some of the distinctiveness that God pokes at through uh, the Apostle Paul, because typically when men have conflict, we get physical, right? We want to use these a lot of times. That's kind of the, the, if if we're in the flesh, we want to physically react by nature. And so guys tend to go to blows, but we know very well a lot of times, and this is something my wife has taught me well over the years and my daughters, is that a lot of times when women have conflict, it's manifested more through words, Right? And so it's more of a viciousness through the words, which is really interesting because if you get in a physical alteration, you know, all of us can think about physical altercations that we've had growing up, especially the guys, right? And if you get hit by something, eventually those bruises heal. But words that have been said to you by people in your life, or, you know, whether that was a schoolmate, a family member, those tend to linger longer and cut deeper. And so that whole thing of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, that's a lie. We all know that by now, right? It's a lie. You can get hurt by words. And so if you become a person who's slanderous, where you're always just trashing people with their words, whether that's by the, the whispering and the gossiping, or whether that's by the flat-out you know, slanderous accusations, you know, this or whatever, um, slander is unbecoming to a person of God, and in this case specifically a woman of God. And I think what's interesting here is if you tap on the word slander, it's actually the word diabolos. Diabolus is a word used many times in Scripture. It's the word devil. Because what do we know about the devil? He is the accuser of the brethren. He's one who likes to lie and slander. So the devil is going to slander God. The devil is going to slander the children of God. And so when any of us give in to, to slander, we are reflecting the devil's nature more than God's nature. And that doesn't matter whether it's um, someone you know or someone you don't know. When we become people of slander, it obviously is something that reflects that we're not rooted in that sound doctrine. 
and then not slaves to wine. Obviously, the abuse of alcohol and running to alcohol to deal with, uh, you know, either free time, <laughs> idle time, or whether dealing with stress or anxiety. Um, the women of God are not going to be ones who are slaves to wine. And so these are some characteristic traits that are going to be uh, seen in the lives of men and women rooted in sound doctrine, as that sound doctrine is working its way through our lives. And then in the women, it starts to push into the, these next verses. It pushes in how then these older women will become disciplers, mentors, instructors into the lives of younger women. And we see there in the next passage, it says, to teach what is good, right? Look at um, verse, the end of verse 3 says, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women too, and then we have more characteristics rooted in the life of sound doctrine. And first you see a love for husbands and children. So there's going to be this excellent, excellency lived out in the way uh, a woman will be a wife and a mom and how that plays out into her family. And I think it's really important in all of these traits for both men and women to realize again, let's look at the context. Uh, these are people that live on the island of Crete. That's the original audience. And that was a very pagan culture, and they had pagan practices. So all of these characteristics are flipping the script for what the people in their culture would expect. They're going to stand out now. They're going to be distinct. And now they're going to be distinctly Christian and how this Christian ethic is going to be lived out as it's rooted in sound doctrine. And so, for example, in this uh, pagan context, a lot of times the way you loved your wife, loved your husband, loved your children had different ramifications. But now as one who's a follower of Christ, one who laid down his life and sacrificed, the way the men loved their wives and kids, the way the women loved their husbands and their children was going to look different than the world around them. We still see that today, right? The way the world tells us how to handle our spouses, how to handle our kids is different than what God's word tells us to do. And so we just continue to see the layers of this being poked at here out of this sound doctrine living. The next one. Again, the term self-control. We've seen this before. Again, over your passions, your desires, your urges, to have good sense, to be sensible, uh, to have good judgment, uh, to teach women to be uh, women of purity. This is specifically in the area of sexual purity. We know that uh, this was an area that both men and women struggled with greatly, still do. Uh, but there was something unique in that culture and still unique today for men and women who struggle in this area. And so women were to be instructed by the older women to be pure sexually, whether that was with their spouse or if they weren't married to save themselves for their spouse or if they're going to remain single to be pure in their body to the Lord. And also to work at home or prioritize the home. And so there was a, a need for homemaking that was so important. And we all know the value of quality homemaking. We don't need to go any further than our own homes. Look at how you were raised. Look at the roles that your mom or dad played, the lessons that you learned from your mom or dad, or because of the absence of your mom or dad. And so the value of what takes place in the home is so critical because we know that home is the classroom of life. It's where children learn about love and marriage and, and, and friendship and respect and, and cooperation and all these things. Home is this huge battleground that, that people learn to be one way or the other. We can all testify to that with our own stories of our upbringing. And now a lot of us are in positions where we're on point for what's going on in our home. And so there's no higher calling than to be one who can uh, cultivate an environment in your home that's going to help people uh, know the Lord, grow in the Lord, be loved, be cared for. And so this was this part of working at home. And in Paul's day, uh, a lot of the women here on the island of Crete weren't working outside the home. 
So it was more important that instead of like all the other Cretan women who were maybe just gallivanting around, it's like, no, be productive, be effective, own your home environment, and create an environment that's going to honor Christ and root it in sound doctrine. And so we start to see all of this unfold as Paul is exhorting Titus to teach through these aspects. Also, another characteristic, to be a woman of kindness, uh, to put forth that which is good and helpful and excellent, and also uh, submission to husbands, a willingness to yield to just God's design for leadership. And there's power in submission. Submission is not a term of weakness or inferiority. It takes a lot of um, self-control and selflessness to, to put self under someone else's leadership and say, hey, I'm going to follow your lead on this. Even though I have the ability to usurp it or to undermine it, I don't, I don't think that's what's best. And so this is the, the lessons that God was teaching through Paul. Now, I think a couple things that we need to make sure we're tampered on that might be unique to our culture, because again, we're not on Crete. I think one, when it comes to single living, that a lot of times we talk about the home environment because all these characteristics, by the way, are being played out in two major environments, the home environment and the church community. And so as far as the home environment, those who are married with kids, you know, grandparents, the grandkids, it's going to look one way as we try to live this out. But those who are single or maybe you have a broken home right now, it's going to look a little different. And so you have to say, okay, what applies to me in this area? And how can I leverage um, my environments to fulfill these types of characteristics rooted in sound doctrine? And so for a single, maybe you don't have a spouse and kids at the home, but that's still a home environment. And so you can cultivate an environment that's warm, that's safe, that's hospitable, that's welcoming to people, that still can be leveraged for growing people in the ways of the Lord. And, and what's unique to our culture compared to the context of the people written here is we do have a lot of women working outside the home. And so the, the tension sometimes felt by men and women, but especially women sometimes is like, man, I, I have a full-time job, but also value what's taking place in my home. And I think there's a beauty too in that because not only do you get to contribute so greatly to what's going on in your home and influence there, but now you get a chance to influence in your work environment and experience the joy of working and creating income and, and seeing how God's going to use you in the environments that you're in. And so you still can leverage your home environment and your work environment, your married environment, your single environment, all to fulfill what God is showing us through Paul and Titus here and what they're teaching. And so my sisters, you know, we weren't on Crete, right, when all this was written, but we still need women today to demonstrate lives are so different than the culture around them. And we can take a page out of this and say we desire and need desperately women who are going to be reverent in behavior, who are not vicious with their words through slander, don't, don't escape to alcohol, um, with their times and troubles, women who can love their husbands and children well, who demonstrate self-control and purity, who've mastered the art of homemaking and who model kindness. That's all rooted in the sound doctrine that we saw in, in Titus 2.1 because sound doctrine also makes sound women as the doctrine works its way through our life. And so we see all of this manifest. Now, we see, wait a second here. The, the men were given these qualifications, and then the women were given these like, you know, you know, characteristics as well, and then they teach them. What are the men to teach? Well, it's interesting. You go back to verse 6. The men are to teach too. It says that men are to teach 
Younger men to be self-controlled. It says urge. Young men to be self-controlled. means Urge means to call up or to exhort or instruct young men to be self-controlled. What I find kind of ironic and humorous here is the list for women is longer than the list for men. And it's kind of like, wait, women have the ability to multitask and do more than men typically do. Like a lot of times when I'm talking with my wife, she'll have four conversations going on at one time. And then she talks to me like I'm tracking with all four. I'm like, wait, wait, which conversation are we on? Because I'm only on one right now, right? And I think it's interesting because here's this ability, all these different characteristics we see that the older women are instructing the younger women in. And we come back to the guys. It's like, men, just teach young dudes one thing. <laughs> just give them one thing that's so important. Learn how to be self-controlled. And this is, this is a universal struggle, but we all know, especially with young men, that, that a lot of the troubles that happen in the lives of young men is because they lack self-control. Pick, pick your flavor. Video games, lust, food, anger, you name it. It's like, man, if young men, if you can learn to be more self-controlled in your life, to restrain these urges, to be more sensible, you're really going to save yourselves a lot of trouble on the front end. And so we see this beautiful intergenerational instruction, the older to the younger, and how this is all going to play out. But again, why? For what purpose? Is it just so we can go like, man, I've grown. That's awesome. I'm great. In fact, I'm an incredible mentor. In fact, you would be privileged to have me mentor you, you know? Is it so we can pat ourselves on the back? Is it so that whatever people write on our tombstone one day is going to look really good? I think the secret to what God really wants to see happen out of this is found in verse 5. Look again at verse 5 of Titus 2. It says, of the women that are being instructed by the older women, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Raise your hand if you've got family or friends or classmates or someone in your life you know that basically has a negative view of the Bible. Anyone? And they vocalized it. Absolutely. All of us. Online, you know it. One of the reasons that they revile, which by the way, the Greek word there is blasphemeo. It means to blaspheme or speak evil against. One of the reasons people in our culture, maybe even you, now or at a time in your life, spoke evil or blasphemously against the Bible was because you saw a disconnect between those who said they believed it and how they lived out their lives. And at that point in time, you go, I don't know if I need to really believe in this book because the people in my life that say they believe in it act differently than I even think that book talks about. And so the whole point of this brings it down to how can we glorify God? How can we glorify his word? And when the world looks into the Christian community and they see linked generations, the Pauls and the Timothys, investing in each other, learning from each other, they're all coming out of a common source that's transforming their lives, it's much harder to revile God's word when you see the people of God's word growing and benefiting and reflecting the love of the Lord so gloriously. And so I think that's so important as we look at this. Now, this can look a lot of ways. And I'll talk a little bit more about like how you can make that happen in your life if that's something you're longing for. But I think what helps us sometimes is really seeing it demonstrated, an example of what this uh, you know, older to younger can look like. And there's many men and women in our church that have engaged in these discipler relationships, you know, these mentoring relationships. But let's just take a few minutes and look at one. And two um, dear sisters in the Lord in our church said, 
you, you can videotape us, fine, go ahead. We'll tell our story. And so let's watch the story of Barb and Lauren as they give us an example of what this can look like in our lives. I could talk Barb up for an hour, but you said this is only five minutes. I, I think she would run out of time. No. So Lauren and I met about four and a half years ago, um, and she was an intern at CVC. At the same time, another young lady was an intern. Yeah, I remember we, um, I had formed a relationship with the other intern, and we kind of made Barb's our unofficial hangout spot, and then they invited me into their home for my second year internship, and that's kind of where the mentorship yeah. really took off. It happened more organically, um, because you know, when you're using someone else's washer and dryer and eating your food and um, <laughs> living under the same roof, you, you know, spark conversations that grow a relationship deeper. So the reason I started wanting to mentor younger women was because when I was their age, I was not living for the Lord. And uh, as I got a little older, I realized that I felt like those years were wasted, not wasted, but just had regrets about them and wanted to try to help younger women not have that same experience. I get that aspect of Barb um, is her wisdom that is far beyond my years. But then also there's this, this unique friendship that comes alongside of that, where it might have started off as a mentorship, but it's formed this relationship where I feel that I can come and talk to Barb about anything going on in my life. What I would say to um, older women about mentoring younger women is how Paul talks about um, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I would encourage them to be an example that could be followed, that would be worthy of being followed. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. And I feel like I had another daughter. You need to be intentional about being intergenerational. You're only staying with people your age. You're not going to meet younger women, that, and you're not going to have that opportunity for even to happen organically or formally. My encouragement to um, the older, wiser women would be to invite younger women into your life, because I think that's how it started, was Barb inviting us around her dinner table um, allowing us a picture into, or get a view into her life. And then I just want to echo what Barb said, that you have to be somebody who is worth uh, following. Uh, and that's not to say like you have to be perfect in any way, shape, or form, but uh, if you're following and pursuing the Lord, um, then younger women will want to, will want to um, follow your lead and your example. Um, I think that's what we see in Titus 2. And it doesn't have to be like older women above the age of 40 and younger women under the age of 30. <laughs> I think that because Barb, because Barb has um, shown me what it looks like to allow people into your life um, and to listen and to mentor uh, well, I've been able to do that even with girls and young ladies who are even just a few years younger than I am. She's given me that confidence because she's shown me that it's, it doesn't have to be this formal, scary thing that you tackle, but rather it's living life with someone pursuing the Lord. To, to younger women who are looking for a mentor, I would suggest, again, that they be intentional about intergenerational things. Like I lead a Monday night group and I have two young women in their 30s. And then as 
Warren said, be looking for somebody who's worth, a worthy example to follow. And then ask them, just ask, it's fine. Intergenerational relationships are kind of weird and they don't happen organically most of the time. I mean, it's okay to put yourself in uncomfortable situations where you might be the youngest girl in the room, um, but it takes a lot of intentionality. And the other thing I would say is um, to, that you can do it. If God's prompting you to do it, you yeah. can do it. If, you, if you're hearing that you can't do it, that's not from God. The, the church, the body of Christ, is so diverse, um, and God intended it to be that way, and we need each other. Mm -hmm. um, and intergenerational relationships um, are part of God's design. And like Barb said, they're, they're of eternal value. Um, and so this is a friendship that will go on past our years. Um, hopefully in, in heaven, we'll be able to uh, sing the praises of the Lord together. Mm. That's a fun thought. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of our core values here at CVC, what we call our passions, is linked generations. The older and the younger are linked together and learning and growing together. And, uh, and they'll produce fruit. And one of the fruits that we refer to that as the fruit of new life is, is a discipler. We're all to be discipling someone else. We're all to have a Paul kind of pouring into us and a Timothy that we're pouring into. And so who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Because we all need them to grow, to glorify God, to help prevent the Word of God from being reviled. And uh, what I love about what Barb and Lauren shared is, you know, these two dear sisters in Christ absolutely love Jesus. They love God. They love His Word. And their mutual love for God and His Word found them together. And uh, like Lauren testified, it probably wasn't you know, natural at first. It's probably a little awkward. But anything worth doing isn't going to be easy. A lot of times what's worth doing is going to hurt or be awkward or weird at first. But you just got to get past that so you can get the benefit and the other person get the benefit and God gets the glory. So God doesn't make it easy just to glorify him, right? Sometimes you have to put some effort into that. And so as I say, who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Some of you are going, I don't have one or I haven't had one in a while or I don't know where to start. Well, that's the beauty of the church. And church is a community where we can discover those relationships. And so obviously your home is primary, like my primary place to disciple is, is my children. But all of us in the Allen household beyond our home need to be looking for the Pauls and Timothys in our lives too. And so the best way is just connect deeper into the church body. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking to be um, a Paul, you're looking to be a, a, a Timothy, or if you're looking for a Paul, or you're looking for a Timothy. And really the two best environments, one is a serve environment. Like, you want to you impact the next generation? Work with them. Get in there and make some shoulders with them. And so work with children, work with our student ministry, work with young adults, and start to just be available to, to get, you know, life-on-life -life interaction. And I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to this kind of um, mentoring and discipling, it doesn't happen best in the classroom. It happens best in the kitchen or in the car when we're just getting to do life together, you know? And so you can go onto our website to the link, uh, to serve and look for one of those areas that you can serve in. Another way is to get in life group. And in a life group, uh, you get an opportunity to really be invested in and invest in others. And if you're super intentional, you can say, I don't want to be in a life group with just my peers. 
I want to be the youngest person in the room. I want to be the oldest person in the room so I can invest in or be invested into and get into an intergenerational life group. And so you can go under our website and get plugged into a life group. Or if you're already in a life group or leading a life group, maybe it's time to think about, hey, how's our life group investing in the Timothys? Or how's our life group getting the wisdom of the Pauls? Invite someone in that's not typically in your life group. Be part of that. If uh, you don't know those links, we'll make it super easy for you. If you just text the word NEXT to our response number, 440-276-5575, we'll send the links to your phone. <laughs> and you can then follow them from there if you, uh, if you need those. And so that's, that's, what, uh, that's the next step for you to try to find that Paul, try to find that Timothy. The next two reflection questions I have for you is more about that sound doctrine working its way out in your life. First, you've got to celebrate. You've got to celebrate when you see God's fingerprints, you know, bringing change in your life. So when you look at the characteristics that we talked about today, which one of those has God grown in you? Are you more, are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you more loving? Have you, have you found yourself finding more um, joy out of what's going on on the home front? And just celebrate that and thank God for it. And the flip side is, which one of those characteristics is still a need of great growth in your life? Like, God, please grow this area in my life. Lay that before him and ask him to bring change in that area in your life. Maybe an outcome of this time is that you're really curious now about Jesus. Because this is the Christian community and all this is rooted in God's word and rooted out of our relationship with Jesus. If you want to know more about following Christ, we'd love to talk to you about that. Just text the word Jesus to our response number, 440-276-5575, and say, I just want to know more about Jesus. Tell me more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. We'd love to have that conversation. Or maybe something else has come up during this time that you're like, ah, I really would like to talk to a pastor or, or a ministry leader. Just text the word connect, and we'll get in touch with you and see how we can follow up. So let's take what we've talked about right here. We're going to close a little differently than we typically do. We're just going to close in prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to really leave this moment or log off, if you will, in a prayerful state of mind, kind of ruminating on what we've just learned together. And so don't just, you know, click close on the, on the, on the bar if you're watching online and like get into what's next. Like take a few minutes and really reflect and pray through this. For us here, we're going to kind of leave here reflecting and praying and asking God to do a work out of that. Let's also take a couple minutes and pray for our nation. We have this little tiny thing called the presidential election in a couple days. We need to pray for our country, don't we? And pray over our land that God's given us and just pray for all that's involved with the election. So let's just take a minute or two and just pray. Just pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. God, you're so good. And you knew that we would need you and so you've made yourself available. You came down a person, you died on the cross, you rose from the grave so that we could have a relationship with you, forgiveness of sin, hope, joy, and eternal destination we can be excited about and long for. You gave us your word because you knew we'd need to be guided. You knew that we would stray, be easily deceived, and we'd be rebellious. And you gave us your word, the sound doctrine that flow into our lives. Thank you for that. And God, you gave us each other. You gave older men to help younger men. You gave older women to help younger women. I thank you for that. Thank you for how you knit the community together to help each other. God, I pray for the Pauls 
if you will, these men and women of the faith that are more mature in the faith, God, that they would never feel the need to be perfect, just the need to be faithful, and that they would faithfully look for their Timothys to invest into. And God, thank you for the Timothys, those who are younger in the faith. God, help them to crave the Pauls in their life and to seek them out. God, I look forward to hearing stories of how men and women have connected because of some intentionality after today. So God, help us to do that. Let that take place in our life groups, in our children's, in our student, in our young adult ministries. God, we ask for that. Lord, we also take a moment just to pray for our nation. God, we are absolutely privileged to live in a free nation. Many people around the world can't talk the way we talk or participate the way we participate in our nation. So God, may we never lose sight through our dissatisfactions of how good it is to live in the nation that we live in. And God, we greatly desire that our nation would follow you. We greatly desire that our nation would know about you and seek you. But God, that has to happen in individual hearts first and in homes. So God, would you rule over our heart? Would you rule over our home? And would you rule over our nation? Lord, we pray that you would uh, send men and women into positions of leadership locally, at our state level, a national level, level, that know you, that will come to know you, that will do your work. God, thank you for the men and women of faith that currently serve in roles of authority and leadership. And God, would you expand their influence in our nation? God, we pray over this election. We know there's been a lot of anger. <clears throat> Lord, we're embarrassed by some of the behavior that's the exact opposite of what we just read about. <laughs> It's been happening by candidates, by people online, conversations. God, we proclaim right here, our hope is in you. Our hope is not in our president. Our hope is not in our political platform or party. God, our hope is in you. So help us to vote our conscience, help us to vote our values, but ultimately, we just rest in you, we trust you. You're going to work the election for your own will and accomplishments. So help us to participate with peace. God, help us to be influencers in our relationships when it comes to all that we care about in our nation. So God, put your hand on our elections. Give us peace, Lord. Give us people who will do your will. We lift up our nation. So Lord, take all that we've talked about this morning. Work it out in our lives for your glory and for our good. We ask in Jesus' name. We all set together.